0: Time again for Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques de a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. If you are suffering from addiction, misery, trauma, whatever it is, I'm here to help. If you're in search of help to try to get your life back together, join me here at Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard, the addiction recovery podcast. Hey, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need actual help from a licensed professional counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, please go get that. Don't use this as your help. This is not professional help. It is entertainment. So hopefully you'll learn something from this podcast and get some good, useful information. But if you decide after listening to it that you need professional help, please go get it because this is only a podcast. So I can't really see what's going on inside your head. You know something uh, came to me this week when i was working with client and i was trying to help this person understand what to expect when dealing with a rehab center getting in and i was have overwhelmed with this thought of the system's broken and every time they try to fix the system they just end up re-breaking it a new way of making it not work And that happens every time there's some kind of change. And now the world we're in today is being uh, altered because of people who have addiction and how many there are and the limitations on how we can treat that person. And the system's broken. That's all I can think of every time I try to help somebody because it seems like there's always some obstacle in the way of getting them into rehab. it's like the system is broken and I feel quite frustrated and it's kind of like uh, dealing with children or something I don't know but whenever I'm dealing with rehab centers they're up against it because the insurance companies are on them it's this never-ending cycle of obstruction cost initiative failures of the system Managed care companies, uh, insurance companies trying to treat or tell you how to treat patients when they're going into treatment centers and then it costs too much and I can't get in and then they get there and they find out that their insurance won't cover as much as they were supposed to cover and they're shocked. The people trying to get help and the families too. So I have these conversations all the time with people about that and what do we do? I don't know. The system's broken. How do we fix it? Can we fix it? What are the ways that we can fix it? That's what I'm going to explore today. Dealing with a broken system. What's the first question that anybody has in their head when they're trying to deal with uh, recovery or substance abuse is how do I stop? Or maybe a family member says, how do, how do I get my family member to stop? And it always comes down to a single thing, which is uh, all about where do you get help? And so uh, there are these places all over the country, um, actually all over the world, that go into business and they open their doors where they will accept you as a client or patient in their treatment program. So it costs money And it, the money that it costs is based on a lot of factors, which people don't really consider. They think that it's a building and there are some people there that can help treat the the individual for their substance abuse. And then magically they get out 30, 60, 90 days later and they're cured. So I I can go on and on and on about why that's not the case because you don't get cured by going to rehab. But the cost and how that cost is paid for is is very puzzling to people and confusing, and they don't understand how it works. So to go to rehab, you have to have a licensed bed. And in the states, uh, the United States, the way that works is: uh, you go to rehab, you you there's the building, and they take they check you in, but they only have so many beds. Well, that's a licensed facility. Each state licenses. That treatment program and they're allowed to have a certain number of beds and it has to be approved by the state the whole facility and what they do it has to be inspected they have to meet standards and they're constantly under uh, scrutiny and regulation if they're associated with a hospital then they've got uh, different hospital uh, organizations that will have to certify them uh, JCO, and so on in the state and nothing happens unless the state approves it. So you got to go through a state approval process. state of Virginia has one of the most uh, oppressive, ridiculous, stupid uh, <laughs> approval processes I've ever encountered, which is why we don't have very good treatment programs, because it's too difficult, costly, and challenging to get a license. A case in point is a treatment program called Bermuda Ranch decided that they wanted to uh, open a facility in the state of Virginia, uh, Commonwealth of Virginia, sorry. And um, they were a well-established, probably 30-year-old program from Arizona. Very successful, large, operating, uh, good reputation in standing in the state of Arizona, fully licensed, had, uh, I don't know, 50 or 100 beds, and uh, a really good program. One of the leading programs for eating disorders in the country. Uh, I happen to know Dr. Meyer, who was the one of the two uh, originating founders and owners of it, uh, Paul Minrinth and uh, uh, or, uh, Dr. Minrath and Dr. Meyer. And so um, they wanted to expand. They had never done that. So they decided uh, that they wanted as a corporation to expand. So they picked Virginia. God knows why they picked Virginia. I don't know. But they picked Virginia. And so they tried to get licensure. And they built their facility. They bought the land. They built the building. They staffed it. And a year and a half or two years later, they still had not received licensure from the state of Virginia. So at the cost of how many millions they invested in it, they walked away. Thank you, state of Virginia. Good revenue generator for the state of Virginia. Taxi- taxes that would have generated and, and the goodwill towards uh, the people and would have been, I think, a, a hallmark treatment program for eating disorders in the state of Virginia. But no, the state of Virginia decided they were going to play games and usual things to drag their feet to the point where a corporation was willing to throw away millions of dollars on a completed building that they had fully staffed uh, and just walk away. Shame on Virginia. They should change and become more friendly towards treatment programs, but they can't seem to get their act together in that way. Anyway, I'm ranting. so uh, you have to have a state license to get that, and it's a very cumbersome process in most states, uh, Virginia being the worst, I think. But um, be that as it may, the, you have to have that. So that costs money and time and effort and expertise, and that costs money. And so you have these programs where um, uh, to check in, you're basically checking in, and you're it's a hospital bed. You've got a physician that's overseeing it, And you've got uh, nurses, psychiatrists, medical doctors, all have to be on staff. And then you have uh, counselors of various types, licensed professional counselors, social workers. Uh, Then you've got the support staff. You've got cooks. You've got cleaning staff. You have uh, receptionists. You've got aides. Um, There's all kinds of staffing issues that go on. So when you check in, understand that what you're up against is a program that is spending a lot of money just to keep their doors open, and they are a generally for-profit um, organizations. Some of them are not for profit, but they still they have to make a profit. It's a business. You can't begrudge them that uh, part of it, but it does cost money. So let me break down to you what it costs to check into any facility where there is a state licensed hospital bed type environment. If you go to a regular hospital, just you go to the hospital because you had an appendectomy or you had a a broken hip and you had to sit there in the hospital. It's anywhere from a thousand to $2,000 a day to just lay in the hospital bed. Doesn't include medications. Doesn't include treatments just for you to be in that bed in that hospital a thousand to two thousand dollars a day is the average once you get past the initial i'm laying in this bed i'm filling the bed then you've got all the other ancillary expenses on top of that so when you go into a treatment program um you're going to expect to pay between 500 and 1500 a day just to get in the door now Understand that there's other things that, that get included that uh, I'm saying just get in the door. But that's that includes the cost of the therapeutic portion of it. Maybe not medications because those are as needed. So your medication is not the same as the person in the bed next to you in the treatment center. So those are an additional cost. And if you need additional things, sometimes they tag that cost into it, as uh, add that cost in as well. So expect to pay $1,000 a day. All right, that's thirty thousand dollars a month, and sometimes they'll do a sliding scale. Uh, they got some wiggle room, but that's about what it is. So, if you walked in and you were paying cash, this is what it would be. So, now enter insurance companies. So, an insurance company gets involved. Well, now all of a sudden, the insurance company has to uh, is in a position where they're going to force the treatment program, to justify your presence in that treatment facility. Some of them, the insurance companies, use the measure of stabilization. So is this person stable? Well, they should be discharged. So you could be there for 20 days, and now all of a sudden they're trying to fight with the insurance company to pay for the additional time to make it 30 because you stabilized. Well, of course you stabilized because you're in a treatment program. That was the whole point, but we use as a standard 28 to 30 days. And if we can get the person to stay for longer, that's preferable in a lot of cases because there's a lot of stuff to have to have that person work through. So the insurance company is going to make you justify uh, that that person is going to stay in that facility. And so there's a game that starts being played between the insurance company and the treatment program. If you're filing insurance, or they're collecting through insurance. Now, understand, they had to negotiate what they were getting from the insurance company per person uh, under that insurance plan. So they might not even be getting thirty thousand. They might be getting fifteen or twenty thousand or twenty-five thousand. They're not even getting the actual amount they charge. And so that makes it challenging because they're not actually getting what they're supposed to get with what they're doing. So now they're losing out. So it's a numbers game at that point. Now the treatment program is trying their best. And so they're limited on what they can offer. Now when you go into a treatment program, you're not going to be treated for emotional trauma. Let me just say that. You're not. Because that's not the point of the program. The whole point of getting into the residential treatment is to stabilize you so they can discharge so you can begin to treat. Because if somebody is dysregulated, their mind is dysregulated because of drug usage or alcohol usage, you can't really treat them. So you, they, they want to release them to somebody like me as a private, private practitioner. And for me to do the work I need to do, they've got to be somewhat stable in their behaviors or their thoughts or their their mind. So I can't help somebody if they're just dysregulated, they're emotionally all over the place. So that's their job is to stabilize. So they don't, they're not treating trauma, but they're just pointing out to you, hopefully, that you have a lot of trauma that causes your addiction to kick in because you're trying to cope. So they're going to be doing short-term cognitive behavioral therapy. They're gonna be doing um, they're gonna be focusing on behaviors, but then part of it is trying to get you to understand that your life is is a mess and point out that, hey, you've got this history, so we're gonna to try to hook you up with somebody once you discharge that can help you work through the trauma stuff that you have. And so they're working hopefully with whoever's in your local area that they can discharge you to, that can help you with that portion of it. And So there's a purpose in being there and there's a reason, but it costs money. And and that's the thing that I always run into with people is there's this obstacle of money. I don't want to pay for it, which I find astounding because it's a medical condition. And if you said that you'd had a heart attack or you had cancer, you had broken your spine or whatever, nobody would be arguing about whether or not to treat because it costs too much. But yet with addiction, that's where everybody goes, including addicts. You guys who are addicted and you want to go to treatment, you don't want to pay. I can't, I don't, I won't, you know, it's, it's a shame too, because then what you're doing is you become the obstacle, uh, either the family member or the addict. So first it might've been the insurance company was the obstacle, but now you're the obstacle because you don't want to go because it costs too much. Well, Unfortunately, that's kind of what you have to do to get treatment. Now, you could go to a residential treatment program that doesn't cost very much. And there are certainly those out there. Uh, There's one in the Carolinas, I think. Uh, It's called Ace Recovery for Men. And for 30 days, it's $1,900. $1,970 for drug and alcohol counseling and in a residential treatment program. That's awesome. Uh, When I have men who say I can't afford to go to treatment, I point to programs like that. Um, (laughs) $1,970 to go to residential treatment. If you go for 60 days, it's not $4,000. It's $3,670. If you go for 90 days, it's $4,970 for 90 days. That's a bargain. I, you can't even really, that's like what you'd be paying in rent. If you live somewhere to, you know, a couple grand for rent. Now, is that program going to be like super fancy and you got massages and you got whirlpools and you got yoga instructors coming and you got a gym and you got, no, no, no. It's a house. They do a lot of fishing. They do 12 step uh, meetings and they have a licensed clinical addiction specialist who provide, her, provides structured, daily scheduled uh, activities, including meetings. So it's probably one person. I haven't talked to them. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a not-for-profit, and they probably have one clinician there that, that does that. They check you in as you know, a physician or whatever. So it's pretty bare bones. But it's only $1,900 a month. You want the fancy, fancy, you can do that. I've, I've seen programs as high as $300,000 uh, for a month. $300,000. And you're the only patient. <laughs> they only take one at a time. They wouldn't need to take more than one. Anyway, so the game that's played is it costs money. And so these programs are run and insurance companies pay for it. And so they want to cut their costs. And that's a shame. So they start trying to undercut the treatment program and the game that the insurance company is playing is based on the fact that you happen to have insurance with them and they know that you're in a condition that's probably going to be chronic relapse. And so you're going to go more than once because that's usually what happens. People go on average for heroin addiction, the national average number of times that people complete residential treatment is six times. For alcohol, my practice, uh, alcohol is three times typically is the average. So uh, the insurance companies know this, and they're going to be paying a lot of money for this ongoing treatment. And then they also know that they're going to be paying for things like individual counseling and groups. And then you got psychiatrists and maybe even medical doctors because you got medical conditions attached to the addiction. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. That are costs that people don't think about. And then on top of that, you've got uh, detoxification, which usually takes 4 to 10 days, depending on the drug and the therapeutic process they use. So let's average it out to like 5 to 6 days to sit while you go through a detox, which costs also a lot of money because that also is a hospital bed. you got a -a 24-hour-a-day medical staff watching you. And uh, that's including doctors and nurses, um, possibly psychiatry, but it's typically just a medical doctor. And then you got drugs and medications to help titrate you off your drug of choice. So that's a lot of money, too. So you got those days on top of the 30 days that you're in the residential program. So now that I've explained all that, now you understand the complications. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of processes, and those processes that uh, uh, you're joining in on are the ones that drive the cost. Insurance companies pay. They want to cut their costs. The treatment programs need the volume, but they also have to have people in the beds, and so if you're in the bed, there's revenue being generated. If you're not in the bed, there isn't. So they're incentivized to keep you there as long as they possibly can to treat you, and the insurance company is trying really hard to get you out of there. And so some of the stuff that they used to do was they would try to find ways to um, circumvent the process and not let you go to residential treatment. So there's another part of the game. And some companies will say, nope, you can't go to residential treatment unless you try IOP, intensive outpatient programming, which is a thing you do when you're sitting at home. And you go six or, well, in Virginia, it's nine hours a week, usually two or three hours at a time. So it's three three three-hour days of basically just groups. And they make you go through that. And that game, I, I, I really can't stand that game because, so somebody goes to IOP and they're going three hours at a time. It's a huge inconvenience while they're still trying to live their life. But at the same time, let's see, there's 168 hours in a week. Nine hours a week is devoted to uh, to non-residential intensive outpatient programming for uh, substance abuse treatment. So then you've got 159 hours left in the week. Well, what do you think is going to happen with most people who have severe addiction that need treatment. Well, they're probably going to leave the IOP and they're going to go use. So they sit there for nine weeks if they make it nine weeks without using because a lot of treatment programs that are IOPs, if you use and they test you and you're positive, they kick you out. Then you got to go back to the insurance company after failing an IOP and then try to get into a residential treatment again. So I, 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 <laughs> I'm not sure what the thinking is there. Because all that happens, because IOP costs money too, and insurance company pays for it, is they've just driven up their cost. And honestly, I, to me, just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so when I look at um, ways that companies can uh, save money, it doesn't seem to me that um, getting into an IOP is a way of saving money, honestly. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and the, and the person gets worse and they become more resistant to treatment on top of that and so it's it's a horrible game that gets played that way so when you're trying to get into treatment you as a person and you want help and you find that the treatment programs cost a lot of money they cost a lot of money and you run into that understand There's a reason because they got to pay for the sheets and the beds and the towels and the electricity and the water and the building and the insurance and the medical staff and the treatment staff and the support staff. And they got to pay their taxes and they got to pay all this stuff and they got to pay somebody to do the processing of all the insurance claims because that's what they do. So that's at least one or two full time people just sitting trying to process insurance uh, claims. And it's a big pain. So when you go and it's, you know, $800 a day or $1,000 a day or $1,500 a day, that's why they're not trying to rip you off. They're just trying to make a, a few bucks and keep the doors open. And it's very, very difficult and challenging to do that. So let them play the game. It's their game. The treatment programs are incentivized to get you in the door. They're not trying to get you out of the door. They don't get any more money getting somebody to replace you in that bed. It's the same amount of money. So whether you're there or another person's there, their revenue that they generate, it's the same. So they're not trying to get you in the door and then get you out the door. That's, that's, that's a challenge for them because they have to find somebody to fill that spot. So it's a huge, big challenge. So they're not trying to rip you off. If anything, the insurance companies are the ones that are the evil, the evil ones in this process because they're just trying to get you to not have a cost incurred. So they want to cut the expense, and that's their only motivation. They are not motivated by you not getting treatment. They're not motivated to, to uh, your health. They're, t- they're motivated by the dollar. That's all they want to do. Is make money and not have to spend money. So don't blame the treatment programs. They're not trying to rip you off. If anything, blame the insurance companies. But get into treatment. Do not let cost be the obstacle to getting you into treatment because, quite honestly, there is free treatment and there is very expensive treatment. But treatment is not the cure. It's just helping you stabilize. So if you can get into a county program that's free, it's it's the same kind of process as one that costs $50,000 for a month. The only difference is it doesn't have all the extra frilly stuff, but the outcome is still the same. Stable, so you can discharge, so you can start actual treatment. And so res, you know residential treatment... I wish there was some way that I could go back in time and see who came up with that phrase because I don't think it's accurate. I think it's residential stabilization. But that doesn't sound so good, does it? Residential stabilization. No, it sounds better when you call it residential treatment. But that's really what it is, is stabilization. So if you need treatment, go get it. Don't let cost be your obstacle Cheap residential treatment is out there, as well as expensive. Free residential treatment is out there if you're willing to go to a county program or a state-run program. And there are some good ones that aren't really costly. But sobriety happens in your heart. It does not happen in your head, and it doesn't happen in this magic building that you check into. That's not where it happens. It happens in your heart. So find a way to get into a process where you're connecting into residential, into a sobriety through a residential program, but try to get into sobriety in your heart and understand it's not a comfortable bed with fluffy down pillows and people who are serving you gourmet food. I honestly, I, I'm I'm looking out my window and there's a bench sitting down there. You could have an epiphany and suddenly. You could get your sobriety just sitting on that bench out there uh, in the parking lot. Or or sitting by a river side. But if you're really an addict like I know addicts, you're so dysregulated you can't really do that. So you need some guidance and help and structure and security. And some place where you can scream at the world and settle down a little bit and stabilize so somebody like me can, can treat you. So that's what residential treatment is and that's why the system is broken so it is what it is and we have what we have we have to work with that i hope this helps explain why it's a broken system and maybe gave you some guidance on how you can navigate through it That's it for this episode of Doc Shock, Your Addiction Lifeguard. I hope you enjoyed it and got some useful information. Please, if you have questions for me, you can reach out to me through my website, WellspringMindBody.com. You can click on the Contact Me tab on that website, and uh, I'll get back to you. If you need help, please go out and get it. Check into a residential treatment, contact your local emergency room if you're really struggling, or reach out to somebody like me, Doc Shock your addiction lifeguard. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and listened for another one. And hey, doesn't matter how many times you fall down, it matters. What really matters is how many times you get back up. And you only got to get up that one last time. So let's get sane, stable, and sober out there. and Listen to the next upcoming podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.